Did you know that over 60,000 new tracks are uploaded to Spotify every single day? That's a new track every 1.4 seconds, and that's just on one platform. With so much music now available, it's more important than ever to stand out from the crowd. So it's not surprising that more artists are starting to use less conventional sonic textures in their music, like field recordings. Perhaps you've always wanted to infuse the sounds of nature or your favourite city into your own tracks, but not having the right gear or knowledge might have held you back. Well, if that's the case, you're going to love the brand new guide I just created, teaching you how to start field recording with just a smartphone. And it's all yours for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel. Yep, you really do just need a humble smartphone and some minimal extra gear that doesn't have to break the bank to get started with field recording. And I've laid it all out in this handy five-point checklist. So download it for free at femalediymusician.com forward slash learn with Isabel and elevate your music to the next level. So I wound up signing my publishing deal in the hospital. So now we're, you know, in my mind, about halfway through a record cycle and the pandemic, you know, still in the beginning of the pandemic. So, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns and I'm in and out of the hospital writing songs about a lot of different things, different things than were originally sort of slated for the record. Had a lot of different concepts originally slated for the record, but this album became about life and death all of a sudden. So some of the other things I was writing about didn't feel so life and death, you know, because I mean, your priorities completely change when your life changes in that way. Hello and welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. My name's Isabel and over the last decade, my self-produced and self-released music has amassed over 25 million Spotify streams. I also have a PhD in sonic arts, but I wasn't always this confident with music tech. In fact, I still hear those self-doubt gremlins in my head from time to time. I started this podcast to help more female-identifying musicians start recording and producing their music and learn from other women making music with technology. If that's your cup of tea, then you're in the right place, my friend. Let's dive in. Well, hello, Knob Twiddlers, and welcome back to another episode of Girls Twiddling Knobs, where we're surrendering to the no man's land that is the last few days of December. So whether you're hiding from your relatives on a sugar and or alcohol come down, or just feeling all pensive about what's happened over the last 12 months of your life, pull up a chair and get comfy because I'm bringing you a full, fresh helping of Girls Twiddling Knobs goodness to your earbuds. Today, I'm joined by US-based musician and producer April Rose Gabrielli. And this one's not only for anyone interested in forging a career as an artist and producer in general, but also those who might have experienced of living with a chronic health condition too. I've been open on the podcast before about my own struggles with both tinnitus and chronic pain and how this has impacted my music and my career. And April's story is truly inspiring for any musician, no matter the challenges you've faced. Just before the pandemic, and after being able to go full-time with her music for the first time ever, April developed epilepsy out of the blue. She was reaching new heights with her music, even signing a publishing deal with BMG, but facing the uncertainty of how consistent seizures and their after effects, not to mention the regular hospital stays, would impact her ability to continue as an artist. Inside this discussion, 
April shares how she did in fact manage to create her debut album, I Woke Up Alive, during this time and the ways in which her experience of chronic illness have shaped this record and her approach as an artist in general. April has toured extensively, had music synced for TV and film, and now produces other artists with her partner from their home studio, but the road has been less than easy. What shines through, though, is April's courage and consistency, and I guarantee it'll inspire you as we move into a brand new year ahead. Okay, let's meet April. So, April, welcome to Girls Twiddling Knobs. It is wonderful to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat with you. (laughs) Yeah, and we've got so much to talk about. I'm really excited for this episode. But first, before we get into everything, could you just explain to the listeners who you are and the kind of music you make? Sure. My name is April Rose Gabrielli. I'm an artist, a producer, writer, a maker of all sorts, and I make alternative rock and pop music, make all sorts. But in terms of my artistry, I definitely lean towards anything that's really emotionally charged, guitars, lots of vocals, things like that. So that's that's my vibe <laughs> in short. Yeah. And, and whereabouts are you based, just in case anyone's curious? Sure. I'm on the East Coast of the US. I'm originally from New York and spent most of my time there. And then recently I've relocated to Pennsylvania to have more studio space. And New York's sort of still my go-to place for gigs and meetings and things like that. But I'm about there. I'm usually circling those two states. <laughs> yeah. I can see that you're in your studio right now. So this is obviously a space that you're, you know, you spend a lot of time in and it's effectively like a home studio, but I know you have people who come and record there too. Yeah, it's it's really been interesting because that was not originally the intention. My partner and I have been writing and producing together in different places and studios since about 2018, 2019. And during the pandemic and quarantine, we realized, I mean, we needed space to work because that was kind of a blessing for a lot of musicians who were stuck in a really fast paced album cycle, who were touring constantly. You know, we got to pause and actually hone in on producing and writing a little bit more. So we thought it would be a good move to just grab a studio here in PA because before that we were going to go find some space in New York. But given that location didn't matter at the time, this was this was perfect. And then through that, we produced his whole record, my whole record, and some other artists were like, who produced this? It's great. And we're like, we did. You want to come over? <laughs> and for the last year, we've been so lucky to work with great artists. And we're going to officially launch, um, we're calling it The Pair, because we're here on Pear Street, but it's a pair of producers. So we're going to launch that hopefully top of 2023 as an official service. <laughs> That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So lucky. So fortunate to have that have happened, you know, it's mm. been so fun. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, if you could tell us a bit about your journey into recording and production, because like you said, you work as a pair with your partner, but obviously you have your own story there with how you started in doing that side of it, not just writing and performing. Yeah. So I'll try to keep it short because it is long. Um, (laughs) I'm a little long-winded. I'm really focusing right now. But I, at the age of 12, started writing music and playing piano. I started piano when I was a little younger, but, you know, really like writing poetry, putting it to music and, you know, crafting songs and just 
being emotionally charged. It was just so exciting to have all those feelings and thoughts and new words. And eventually, since at the time I was just super into musical theater, I started writing musicals. So I started to write a musical. Wow. Yeah. So funny. Like <laughs> it was just something I did. I don't, I wasn't, I don't know. I just started taking stories from my life and kind of mashing them together and making it work. Um, but through that, I realized I needed a way to really sort of preserve what I was making. So one day I was in the Mac store with my mom. We were just, I was drooling over all the cool tech stuff in the Mac store when I was like 12. And I realized they had a piano that plugged into a computer. And this blew my mind. It was a MIDI controller. So this blew my mind. And I was like, mom, I know this is like $100, but I really want this for Christmas. Like, please. And my mom's the best mom in the world and also taught me how to play piano. So she's like, of course. You know, <laughs> so I wound up getting it for Christmas. It was my pride and joy. And then I started recording on GarageBand and producing, I guess, essentially. I didn't know at the time that's what it was called at 13 years old. Yeah. And learning how to record and structure songs and instrument, like put some instrumentation behind it and compose. And that's kind of how it started. And as I grew up, I realized I had a real skill. I realized not everyone did this. And I started to really value it. And um, I started joining bands after I didn't get into music school. <laughs> and from there, we just were recording demos and going into bigger and nicer studios. And I just fell in love with the whole process. And within the last two or three years, I've been able to independently engineer and produce by myself. And that's, you know, me and my partner are a good combo in that way because I, I'm i a very conceptual producer with the feel and the sound and the vision and learning the technical side even more so in an obsessive way. And then he sort of fills in on the other side of things. But yeah, that's that's kind of my journey so far. I, I mean, it was kind of out of desperation why I recorded, started to record my own solo project. I was in bands forever and knew the cost of of going to a big studio. So I just kind of started to do it with my own music at, after a while. I thought that was kind of more for fun, but it wound up being okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you've always kind of been producing to some extent, you know, it sounds like you've been using some of those tools. And, and I know that I'd love to hear your take on GarageBand actually, just briefly, because I speak to so many women who will say to me, Isabel, I don't have any equipment. I, you know, I, I can't start recording myself because I don't have the right software. And I'll ask them, well, what have you got? And they'll always, well, not always, but a lot of the time people say, well, I've got GarageBand, but that's crap, isn't it? And I'd be like, no, it's not. Mm -mm, no, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, especially when you're first starting out. Honestly, when I was 12, GarageBand was more simple and the, you know, the sound choices weren't necessarily mind blowing, yeah. but it did the trick. And because you don't, the sounds, and the equipment will not make you better. Your mm. focus and your intentions for the project will come through regardless of quality. You know, we, we hear all different kinds of quality in music now because of the rise in, in bedroom producers and things like that, if you want to call it that. But I think GarageBand, you know, in parallel or comparison to Logic Pro is completely usable. They're, they're even more integrated in terms of what you can do. And you don't need crazy equipment you don't. I mean, you can you can just record out of your speakers. It's not the ideal way, but you can, you know, you're, if you have a MacBook or a laptop, there's onboard speakers, there's onboard 
microphone. You can just practice by recording it to a metronome and, and you know, organizing it. Uh, that's where you can start. And I used to use, do you remember, I'm not sure, um, that game Rock Band? It was a spinoff of Guitar Hero. I, I remember it. I've not used it, no. Yeah, that's that's probably fine. I mean, <laughs> it's not really, you're not really missing out. But my first actual mic, a USB mic that I plugged into my laptop around, you know, 13 or 14 was the microphone from the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was the first mic that I used because it actually had a USB plug. So you don't need much. I mean, and when I did that, I was just, I was so, I, my mind was blown. I was like, this is so cool. The quality so much better, you know, so you really don't need much. You just need to, you need things to practice with. Yeah. You know? And like what you said as well, that it's not, it's not about the, the, you know, the price of the equipment that you're using or the complexity of the equipment that you're using. So much of the time I'll talk to a lot of it's particularly women, I think, who've, who've internalized a lot of messages from, say, internet forums where people tell you, oh, no, you need Pro Tools. Oh, no, you need this. You need that. But it's it's not about that. It's about your ideas, your intention, whether you show up and just do the work, just practicing, you know. And I love that you're saying, look, even if you do have, you know, a crap microphone right now, just practice. Practice organizing your, your tracks. Practice getting to know the software. Because then when you eventually do have an amazing microphone. You'll have all of that in place. Yeah, it's true because I mean, and honestly, if we're being honest, I buy B-Stock equipment all the time. This is a B-Stock, so from Sweetwater, B-Stock Aventone CB12 that I got for nothing. These mics have such an amazing quality to them. There's such a warmth. I buy warmer mics for my voice because it's a bit more shrill in the upper range, but there's such a warmth to these mics. And for the price for uh, even a start for even the, I've been in big studios that prefer these mics you know and they're yeah. not expensive they're 200 300 400 dollars and this you know will last you and give you I mean really top-notch stuff but I mean this this still like I mean it's it's cheap on the cheaper end but it's like really great stuff so I mean and you don't need much you can go much lower than this and you know it doesn't matter because <laughs> there are so many different people that make great stuff in less equipped studios and there's people that make like not great stuff in huge studios you know it's not really about like the equipment and that was one of the first misconceptions I think I had going into my first bigger studio I was like oh my god this is gonna make the song sound like radio ready and it's gonna make us sound like we're the real deal and in reality it was just a clearer take of what we were doing in the basement you know and (laughs) that's fine but it it really like shed the light on the smoke and mirrors that are often associated with producing music and thinking the producers and the mixers and the engineers are going to be like magicians and turn you into a a pop star or a rock star it's like you need to have the song and the meat and the the feeling and the emotion and the intention you know it's it's all about that so (laughs) I definitely went through that as an artist and now on the other side as a producer I'm very sympathetic to that realization and and trying to facilitate that experience for an, an artist, you know, so it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, you don't need I, much. No, and and if you hadn't have got started with Garage Band and with a MIDI controller and just some simple stuff, you wouldn't be where you are now, where you have a whole home studio that you work from, that you you're producing your music, your partner's music, other people's music, and it's become your your whole life. And you know, yeah, so you, you, it, it's wild. Yeah, and, you, and I'm sure you wouldn't be here if you hadn't just got started with with, with that much more kind of basic setup. So, yeah, yeah. and I, it's funny because I didn't realize how important 
those formative years where I didn't even know how to tell people what I was doing. I feel so thrilled that younger women and younger people have the opportunity to, it's funny, TikTok's a big one, be more educated about what producing actually is, what recording actually is. Like I had no idea the type of skill set that I was forming. I had no idea how to inform myself on that skill set and how I could get better. So, I mean, I think it, I think it helped because I'm, you know, I, I'm a troubleshooter by trade. Like I will figure it out no matter what. So I think in that regard, it, it flexed that muscle. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy that there's more language or more discussion around the creation of music and how it really gets done. Because I think it will just make a lot of really great, young and, and confident producers. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, it's funny, like even hearing you talking about when you were like 12, 13 and seeing a MIDI controller in a Mac store. And I'm thinking about when I was 12 or 13, there was no Mac store. Right. <laughs> you could not right. walk in and just buy a MIDI controller, you know, it's, and GarageBand didn't exist. And, you know, you really were like, I mean, I, and, and there's people that will listen to me who are older than me saying, well, when I was growing up, there wasn't even digital audio recording, you know. Right. But, right. Um, but yeah, it, it just it is amazing where we're at now. And um, but I think that still it's, um, you know, it's about allowing yourself to learn and make mistakes. Doesn't matter how much more ava- available that technology gets, you still got to let yourself make mistakes and learn and, and practice um, and get started with what's in front of you. Um, so I'm glad that you kind of you shared that but obviously you're saying like in the last kind of two or three years you've really gotten into production and engineering a lot more can you talk us through why that was like what happened in your career and in your life that made that happen as opposed to continuing on a similar path of where you have maybe had been prior to that I think there's a lot of different elements to it so I was fortunate enough to become a full-time musician in 2018 So I was really roughing it before that. I was on my own, you know, financially since I was 18 and I was, you know, in college producing or, you know, being an artist, trying to produce music, write music, find the time to work, you know. So I was sort of fitting music in for a long time. So when I was finally able to devote most of my time to being a musician, I wanted to just take it all in quickly because I really value the time that I have now to fully explore because I ne- I didn't ever have this other than when I was a child <laughs> you know um, and can I just ask if you don't mind um sure. what led you to being in that position where you could just do music mainly full-time yeah sure it almost happened by accident I was in a lot of different bands and I had this strategy and I encourage a lot of people to do this if they have the ability or want to develop the ability I had a strategy to try to get as many session gigs or supporting gigs, you know, being a keyboard player and a vocalist in bands as I could because it it served as a job, you know, a paid gig. It served as a way to get in front of more people. And, you know, eventually I I just wanted to grow myself through that instead of having the pressure of trying to start a whole new project. You know, I could join other projects, see how it worked, see the, you know, the process. And eventually I was hired by two bands at the same time. So I was lucky enough to have those sort of moments. Like I, I got a, a U.S. tour with Kulik and that was Andy Black and the Fave. That was back in 2019. And then prior to that, I was working with another band who was developing at the time. And yeah, those those two bands kind of I was I had to quit my I had to quit my job. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to quit my job now. I, was, I, I realized one day I was requesting off more than I was you know, on the schedule. 
it was cool because it was for music, but I was like, oh, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I can't. And I worked in a theater. I loved my job. I used to work for the Blue Man Group in New York City, and I loved that job. So I had to, you know, take off work so much. And then, yeah. And then from there, I just literally, I, it all just kept coming in, you know. Um, you know, there's ups and downs, but yeah, I just, when you're open for it and you're that and you decide that's what you're going to be, most of the time, it happens for you because you you're the door's open yeah yeah and that's kind of what happened (laughs) yeah and and I think that's um you know like and I think it depends on your personality for sure because I know there'll be people listening be like oh my god like playing with loads of different people and being a session musician obviously you have to kind of show up and it helps if you're an extrovert I'm sure and it helps yeah it does (laughs) but but I will say and I'm not you know, downplaying it. I'm not, I'm not trained, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, and pianos and synths are my main, you know, thing to contribute and vocals, obviously vocals are easy. That's an extension of my own speaking voice. That's, that's like a no brainer, but in terms of instrument technicality, it's something I have a lot of insecurities about because I'm going into rooms with people who are like, Oh, you know, play the, the minor seventh and the, uh, which is fine. Great. I love that stuff. It's, it's amazing, but it's very intimidating for me. And I think that intimidates a lot of people because, you know, there's so many talented people, but you just need to fit the part. You just need to fit your role, learn the music. It took me a lot longer to learn the music than probably someone else, but they wouldn't know that I showed up, I learned the music and that was it you know, and it worked out. You just have to be agreeable and honest. If you're not, you know, hitting the mark, you just have to be honest, be humble, and then, you know, keep practicing and keep, you know, doing your part and be Mm -hmm. a good performer. I think the fact that I can, you know, really milk it on stage (laughs) helps because it, it, you know, you have to add to the band in more ways than just being an instrumentalist. You have to also, you know, engage. You're a fourth member now. You know, I was brought on as a fourth member for a couple bands. That's kind of there were trios and then I got brought on to kind of like, you know, enhance the stage show. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give this, you know, you could do a lot when you're behind the piano, (laughs) you're like standing up. It's basically like you're dancing, (laughs) you know, you can dance. Cool. Okay. So you kind of found yourself that you were in a position where you were doing music full time and, and then what led you to recording and producing more? So, um, I was fortunate enough to get a publishing deal with BMG So I was meeting with a lot of different producers and and seeing different setups and things like that. And I realized what I was bringing them were pretty fleshed out demos, demo productions. And and what I learned was a lot of artists don't generally bring fully produced songs to other producers Mm -hmm. because like a lot of the time it was kind of like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? We're going to make something new. And I'm like, okay, fine. Like, let's make something new. But I realized I was kind of already doing what I needed to do. So I thought, okay, I, I, you know, I have a lot of, I have some brilliant friends that will, that just show me the ropes whenever I ask, you know, technically speaking. So I just started polishing my demos with friends and seeing what they did in order to, you know, how are you mastering a song? So it's like, sounds huge. How are you, what, what levels do vocals need to be at? So they're not like (laughs) blasting or that you can hear them. You know, what, what should I be, what frequency should I be taking out? What type of plugins Mm -hmm. work easily? You know, just, just go-tos, learning those go-tos to enhance something that I was already doing. These are little tips that can make you sound 
like you know what you're doing, <laughs> you know? So I, I think there, I was, I was thinking there was a lot more to it than what there really was. So yeah, I, I just sort of asked a lot of questions. I still do. I'm learning all the time. I'm learning all the time. I'm trying to learn how to actually, because I've just been producing and engineering and now I'm actually trying to learn how to be a mixing and mastering engineer. I'm trying to like grow into that space and understand that, which is totally a different mental, you know, it's it's just a different process completely, which I think a lot of people don't necessarily separate either mm-hmm. from producing and engineering. Do you want to um, just share what the difference is for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> and I'm going to keep this like really brief. So engineering to me is your pressing buttons, your checking, your, you know, your, you're focusing, you're in a zone, you're, you're sort of, you're like the robot in the room, you're an extension of the computer or, the, you know, whatever the board you're using. And you're the one that's got to like, you know, make sure everything's polished and smooth and, you know, ready. You're kind of setting the tablecloth essentially with all of the different things. And then with producing and, and this producing is kind of broad because, you know, there are p- producers that don't play instruments or they just sort of run the room and the vibe. And then there's producers like myself who play instruments and who do sing. So I write, you know, I'll write parts or, or instrument, you know, write instrumentation. So producing is really broad and that's not, it's not you on a board necessarily. It's, it's your vision, your ideas, the layers that you want to put in. That's a really creative part of it. Um, I find a lot in the, when I've been searching for work, people do confuse engineering with producing. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't need to be different, but a lot of the times the skill sets are different. That's not to say they can't be one thing though. (laughs) Um, Mixing is taking the production and just, you know, twiddling some knobs, if you will, (laughs) you know, raising the levels, polishing even more, polishing what that great engineer did for you. Some mixers, that I've worked with do more. Um, sometimes they'll tune vocals. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll put reverb trails, add little delays, which, you know, it toes the line between a production choice too. But if you trust your mixer and your team, you'll likely, you know, appreciate it and enjoy it. And then mastering is just, you know, making everything super loud, making it the loudest it can be, evening everything out and making sure it can be as balanced as possible, I'd say, you know, making sure every moment that you put into the song has its has its time and that the thing, you know, the song or the piece sounds like a complete piece, not just different parts, you know? So mm-hmm. that's my take on it. I know it's not super technical, the definitions, but I think like conceptually, that's that would be an easy way to describe it if I was just telling someone for the first time. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like, like you were saying, it does require slightly different hats and like, it's no, no surprise that certain people are attracted to different parts of that process because obviously, you know, like you're saying with the production, generally that's the really, well, uh, yeah, creative, but also kind of visionary part. You're having ideas, you're, you know, coming up with interesting combinations. You're maybe even like writing a melody line for, or, or a second guitar part or whatever it might be. And then obviously, yeah, the kind of the mixing and the mastering in particular, the right, how do we polish this up? How do we tie, tie a bow around it? Yeah. And that's sometimes a numbers game with, you know, adjusting levels. And sometimes it's like I heard advice the other day. It's like mix with your ears, like listen, like work with your yeah. what sounds right to you. 
you know, and, you know, there are certain things you got to look out for in terms of your thresholds and your levels and your numbers and your EQ. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are just things you learn over time and you, you mix in with your vision, which I, I'm trying to do that because I think it, it can't lose the emotional aspect behind what you're trying to do. Yeah. And how has that kind of worked in terms of like the team that you have as a musician? Because I know that you said you were signed to BMG in a publishing deal. Are you and your partner kind of officially like, did he co-produce your your, your most recent album, for example, which I'd love to talk about more. Um, but what, what does your team look like? So my creative team is awesome because they're my two favorite like some of my two favorite people in the whole world and then there's some unofficial members too but in terms of what the who created the album and who sort of helped me establish my sound as a solo artist I, I have to give big props to um, my partner Jacob Kulik um, he he mixed and mastered the whole record as well you know we worked on that part of it and he co-produced as well as my buddy Kevin Iserman who's fantastic. He he helped me do some of the earliest productions of the record and, and really set the tone. And, and we really, he was so open in terms of like letting me choose sounds and experiment in that way. It sort of started with Kevin. Then I started building on it myself. And then we brought it to Jake. And, you know, as we sort of got the sound together, we just put the gas on it and we just lit it on fire. Like me and Jake just like kind of went crazy with it and made it big and bombastic, you know, from that little seed that me and Kevin had planted back in like 2019. That's my creative team, just those two guys. And they're, I mean, Jake has opened so many doors for me, Kevin, like in the career world and the, in the technical world. And and Kevin just really enhances like the creative freedom side of this whole process. And he, you know, super confidence building. So those are my buddies. Kevin's my friend from high school and Jake hired me to play in his band. So that's how I know them. <laughs> and now they're buddies. So it's like the trio is, we're, we're so, it's such a great, I, yeah, I trust them with my life. It's just great. Yeah. And I know there may be people listening to this thinking, well, what, you know, what's the difference between a publishing deal and a record deal? And how come April has a publishing deal, but she doesn't have a record deal? Can you explain a bit about that for people? So I did have a small record deal to release this album. And and honestly, there are obviously differences. So my publishing company, you know, gives me the freedom to network with people within the company and work with other writers and producers that they've deemed, you know, a part of the BMG community and things like that. And you have access to a publishing staff. Publishers often will put your songs in movies or commercials, which is called a sync you know you put get sync deals and things like that so your publisher takes a portion of your songs essentially and that incentivizes them to make money off those songs for you and for them so they get a bit of your publishing and that sort of incentivizes them there so I have access to a great staff at BMG really communicative and they've sort of been helping me there. So that's the publishing side. It's it's broad. It's kind of whatever you want to make it because there's some people who are heavily involved with their publishers and then not, you know, everybody's a little different. Um, sometimes they'll also send over writing prompts for movies or for TV or, or, you know, do you have songs that fit? Do you don't? And sometimes that gets challenging because it, the sync world, you know, there's just sync writers. There's people who just do that and kill it. They They're amazing at it. You know, so I've gotten, yeah, I've gotten some cool opportunities there. I got to 
write a song for a uh, a movie about women in in the STEM fields, uh, not the science type, and it was in the Tribeca Film Festival. So that was one of my bigger sinks. That was like super exciting, and I got that through there. That was really cool. And then in terms of a, a record deal, I would say record deals now are in a, a strange are in a strange space for artists because I think people are realizing they don't need them as much. I would say the biggest benefit of a record label, you know, it's synonymous with the word loan. They're loaning you money, mm-hmm. investing in you in all the financial aspects that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do by yourself. So in that regard, that's why I would take a record deal. Mm-hmm. But you also need to have a team that knows what to do with that money. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part because I find with a lot of artists, there's tension between teams or vision. And I luckily had some freedom, you know, in the last year with this record, I was able to kind of call the shots a bit. Um, I've also been doing my own label services since I was putting out music since I was like 18. I've helped a lot of developing artists distribute their own music and and help them through that process so I kind of you know as much as I can do I I do and and the helpful part of having a label support the record a little bit was you know some financial backing so that is an important part of this it is a business you know so those are kind of two things so I guess a publishing deal is you know they try to make you some money (laughs) labels give you some money and in the hopes that you'll make some money (laughs) Or, yeah. you know, label services. I mean, some labels, there's no money, but they're providing label services, which is valuable, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think like a really good takeaway from that is to think about how um, if you are going to get into a deal that you it's actually going to strengthen your career and you're not just signing something just so you can say you have a record deal, that you actually either do have some investment coming in or there's some really good, helpful investment in other ways like marketing, promotion, that kind of thing, like contacts, building your career up. And also that, yeah, that there's that distinction between publishing and record deals where publishing is about your songwriting royalties, right? So, And then record deals are about you making a record that then is about the physical recording rights. But what is interesting, I think, is that a lot of people don't, especially artists starting out, don't realise that publishing deals can be as if and sometimes more important for building their career. And that you're right, it's a really good gateway into sync. Um, but that also you can be paid a retainer on a publishing deal. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, so. that was super helpful for me, too, because I actually got my <laughs> publishing deal in November of 2020. So this was like, I haven't, you know, we had a bunch of tours set out for 2020. And by February of 2020, we were, you know, we were done. We did Mm -hmm. a winter tour and that was it, which is the first time since 2015, I hadn't toured really, you know, for spring and summer. So that kind of came at a good time for me. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing about a publishing deal too. And it's just good to, I mean, the more contacts that are within the industry, the more people you could meet, whether you like them or not, mm-hmm. it, it helps you understand what you need and what you need to take or, or give to people and how to communicate because so many there's so many different uh, archetypes in the music industry and you need to figure out where you fit in and mm-hmm. where you need what you need to stay away from. And everybody's different. Everybody's different. So, yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, um, maybe we could come on to your album that um, I, kn- I know you worked on it for a long time. But could you tell us more about it? Um, first, just tell us, you know, the title and the general kind of concept behind it. But then I'd love for you to tell the listeners the story of how it was made and and what that was like. 
So my, my debut record's called I Woke Up Alive. And I didn't realize that that was going to be what this album was going to be about, essentially. Um, I initially starting I initially started writing the record in 2019 because I was in talks. You know, I was a full-time musician and I was in talks with the publishing company. So I was like, I'm going to start writing because, you know, we got to get something ready here. And just writing demos, recording, yada, yada. Have about half of it done. COVID hits, delays things. Um, and in November of 2020, as I mentioned, <laughs> I I got diagnosed with epilepsy out of nowhere. I had two random seizures, never had anything like that before. Um, and it was actually the night before I was supposed to sign my publishing deal. <laughs> so I wound up signing my publishing deal in the hospital. So now we're, you know, in my mind, about halfway through a record cycle and and the pandemic, you know, still in the beginning of the pandemic. So, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. So, you know, in and out of the hospital, still kind of battling epilepsy, trying to figure out the medicine balance. And I'm in and out of the hospital writing songs um, about a lot of different things, different things than were originally sort of slated for the record. Had a lot of different concepts originally slated for the record, but this album became about life and death all of a sudden. So some of the other things I was writing about didn't feel so life and death, you know, because I mean your priorities completely change when your life changes in that way. Um, so we just kept writing and a lot of the songs became about, you know, adversity and, and love, you know, how love sort of fuels your, your drive to wake up every morning and, and probably sounds dramatic, but I mean, if I wasn't writing a record, I don't know if I would have got up every morning. So I feel, you know, it's just like, what do I, I mean, cause you know, the side effects without getting dismal, it's like, you're constantly feeling nauseous, you're dizzy, you're in fear, you know, cause you know, seizures or most neurological events will just strike whenever most people could probably relate to getting a really, you know, a headache or a migraine out of nowhere. And it kind of ruining your whole day. A seizure is like that, but almost like if a bomb went off, <laughs> it's just like mm -hmm. wild, you know, there's so many people that deal with it. It's insane. So, but yeah, so the, you know, it just started to form into, you know, waking up every morning and just saying, yeah, I mean, I woke up today, I have to do something important. And I don't, you know, I don't know how many healthy days I'm going to have in between this and the next episode or whatever. I've luckily been seizure free for, it was a year on August 17th. Wow. Yeah, I'm very fortunate because um, there was, I mean, I was having them, I was having clusters of them monthly, hospitalized monthly. You know, it was wild. Um, so yeah, the whole idea of I Woke Up Alive, it was the last track, it's the title track, I Woke Up Alive was written last for the record. Um, when I started to come to terms with what had happened, I was probably like three or four months into a remission period, which I had not been seizure-free since November 2020. Um, so I was really coming to terms with like all that happened over about two years time. And I realized the thing, the, the mantra that essentially got me through every day was, you know, I woke up today. What am I going to do? I woke up alive. You know, so every day I wake up alive, it's got to be some sort of, you know, um, you got to do something good for you, good for someone else. Good. And then in terms of writing the rest of it, I mean, there's some really cool songs on there that are or just every song on the record was a. I would say. A life changing moment or a life-changing thought in my life. And I sort of just, it's sort of a list for me to remember all of those moments. And, and they sort of tie in with the idea of, you know, a life lesson or a, a life mantra, like need a break. I wrote a song called need a break. 
and it's about just stopping. Your body needs rest. I was, I've never been a fan of that. I'm always really like going, 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 going until I, you know, I'm done, but you need rest. You need rest to be productive. How did it feel kind of going through all of that? Like being in the hospital, it like you're describing in and out of hospital, not knowing what the future held, not knowing whether it was something that, you know, would affect you, how it would affect you, but you just signed a publishing deal. So did you feel like this immense pressure of, oh crap, like all my music dreams are coming true, but I'm ill. And can I be a typical musician of of going for it all the time? Because, you know, you're talking about taking a break, but it's not a very forgiving industry. For, yeah. yeah, I mean, well, the first thing I said when I woke up, because I was asleep for like three days after the first, you know, they had to stop all the episodes basically with heavy drugs. So I woke up like three days later and they're like, hey, so you have epilepsy. And the common misconception is epilepsy just is triggered by flashing lights. <laughs> so it's only 3% of people. So my first question uh, when I woke up was, am I still going to be able to sing like on stage? Mm-hmm. I'm a singer. I was yeah. like, I, that, I was like, I'm a singer. Am I going to be able to be on stage? And I'm like, just my mind's going. They're like, no, you don't have that kind of epilepsy. We don't know what's triggering your epilepsy. I'm like, oh, okay, bittersweet, fine. Um, but yeah, there, there's some interesting challenges with being a musician and also having epilepsy because, um, I have to take my medicine every 12 hours. So a lot of the times, um, it's nine, usually nine in the morning, nine at night. And at showtime, usually between seven and nine, I'm either getting ready or I'm on stage or, you know, so my first tour after I was diagnosed, I was side stage every night because of what our set time was with all my things. And then I basically, you know, it was, our set was usually between like 8.30 or 9 o'clock, which so I would just be popping them. As soon as I could, you know, as soon as I was going out on stage, I'd just pop my <laughs> epilepsy pills and run out. And I'm thinking that I had to tell the crew, I'm like, just, just so you know, these are not like cool pills. These are like, I need these pills. So I'm not like a party animal, like, <laughs> you know, completely sober, completely whatever. Like just, you know, so it's. There's some interesting challenges and, and you get more tired. I mean, maybe because I'm getting a little older, but you know, it's, it's, it's just more tired, you know, more physically tired, but I, I'm, I'm still able to do what I want to do. And I'm so, so grateful for that. I mean, I would, I would, if I had to lay down and sing on stage, I'd still do it. It doesn't really matter, but you know, I'm so grateful that I'm, I've been able to have healthy shows and, and many shows since the diagnosis. So, um, I encourage people to just do it, try it. And you can't live in fear from those, you know, what, what may be coming. Cause I mean, none of us, none of us get out alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you gotta, you gotta remember that and just, and just go for it. So. Yeah. And I think your mantra of, you know, well, I've woken up again, I'm here, I'm alive. So what am I going to do today? And, and it is that kind of thing of taking each day at a time, but also really living your life in the present and, just taking the ball by the horns in that sense so um and and in that kind of vein maybe you could tell us well what was the process then of making the album because you were having to balance being in and out of hospital so what would happen would you be like okay I'm I'm okay today I'm going to work today and I'm just going to work for as many days as I'm healthy you know that I'm not having a seizure and then when the seizure comes I'll just have to stop like how did you balance that and then pulling a record out from your head (laughs) I I honestly like if I told you that I knew I'd be lying because I like I said I 
and maybe other ill people could relate, but when when you feel like time is not like when you feel like time is not on your side, you're just you're just here. You have those blinders on and you're just going. And I mean, I had a lot of up days and a lot of down days um, and a lot of sleepless nights because of medicines. And then a lot of times where I slept for 14 hours at a time. So there was like absolutely no balance at the time. But yeah, basically, whenever I felt okay, I would make something or, or things would just come to me based on what I was going through or what I was doing at the time. And I was lucky enough that, you know, I am very close with both of my co-producers and my, my creative partners. So, you know, they were here helping me and working on things and, and aware of what my state was. Cause I was actually wasn't really telling anybody. I really wanted to wait until I was actually in some sort of remission because it was, it was pretty brutal for a while. I didn't want just my social media to just be like, yeah, I'm in the hospital again. Like I don't want to put other people through it. I, I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, want to do my own thing and, and, you know, not make it a pity party because there's like enough of that going on. Yeah. I mean, I just, I was writing songs. I demo them out when I had a moment and yeah, I mean, I didn't feel good ever. <laughs> I, I was still just doing it though. You know, I was still just like, I needed to, and I wanted to, and I, I didn't have anything else I could do. I mean, I didn't want to go outside. I didn't, not outside, but like, you know, I didn't want to go out to restaurants you know, because I have sensory issues too, or sometimes if I get too overwhelmed, that can sort of contribute to some issues. And, you know, I don't, I can't drive because of it. So there's like, I can't really do much. And I was afraid to do a lot. So music, at least creating it was still sort of something that was sacred. Although I had to relearn a little logic. <laughs> I had to relearn a lot of stuff because it, it scrambled my brain a little bit where I was like, you know, sometimes when you're really good at something, you can go on autopilot and just kind of click through and and all those little pathways and things were not clicking the same way that they normally would. Um, so I had to kind of relearn and, and rework and somehow it came out. I, somehow it happened. I, you know, and the last few tracks like low and, and I woke up alive and um, they're all my productions, like, <laughs> like pretty untouched, you know? So it was like at, by the end of it, I was a pro at like, just, just, you know, roughing it getting mm. through it making it making it visible because you know i was on a timeline too i needed to get it out before a certain time and i was motivated to do that because i've been wanting to make my own record since i was a little girl mm. you know so time was then and that that that's what it gave me for some reason <laughs> yeah and and i think that i mean i can really hear on the title track i woke up alive that there's so much energy and passion and it's that's just such a drive behind it and I mean it's really catchy like it's been in my head for, oh, cool. for real like it's really it's <laughs> a real earworm but it's really you can sense this incredible just potent energy in it find that that experience of being so ill and having this come out from nowhere 
and everything in your life changing, how did that affect the music you made? How has that affected the music that's on the album in terms of that that energy? Oh, yeah, I mean, so much. I've never written a song like I Woke Up Alive. Mm-hmm. I've never written a song like Low. I'm trying to think of the other ones I wrote. Like there's here, my other record right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got my little jewel case. Nice. Um, and the, you know, the the interlude tracks were a big part. So I made a couple of interlude tracks that were a big part of having had epilepsy and feeling the need to connect the dots from day to day. So there's just a lot of last minute elements that sort of made it on there that I just don't think my, my, my old brain would have, would have come up with. And in terms of the new music that I'm making for, you know, record two or whatever's coming out next, I'm finding I'm paying much more attention to what I'm saying. The mm. Melodies are still important, but I woke up alive and low specifically have these lyrical content that is so it comes from a different corner of my mind that's so real Mm -hmm. and I actually feel like it reflects my true inner dialogue and I don't know if I've ever accepted what I was hearing in my inner dialogue you know because I think people see me as like non-judgmental and very calm and and collected and confident but I don't really I don't talk to myself like I'm any of those things Mm -hmm. so you know, I'm, I'm really trying hard to tap into my my fears, my inner, my real inner dialogue. You know, where is it at? Because, you know, I don't I don't think I think music just has to be relatable. Mm-hmm. I think it just has to be relatable. And I I, I just want to tap more into my human emotions, you know, and, and less about maybe drama or or power or, you know, is this note high enough? It's like, no, nah, I'm just going to. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a, I'm a big belter. I love to sing high. It's like gymnastics for me. It's so much fun. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more about what's in the song and, and what it's saying and why. Yeah. It could, you know, it could be my last. It could be, it's a stamp. It's a time stamp. It's important. I want to teach, mm-hmm. not self-indulge, not indulge as much, you know, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and how as in terms of like promoting the album and putting it out there because it's already out, but how have you gone about promoting it? Because obviously it's such a personal story, but I'm sure that then that that must open up some great ways to talk about the album with other people. Yeah. Um. So I mean, luckily my partner and I are constantly creating. We are always videotaping our lives and photographing things. So, and actually a big part of diagnosing epilepsy correctly is getting things on tape. Mm. And, and 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 assessing your symptoms. One of the last tests you have before you go into brain surgery to fix it, if you haven't been cured yet, is a video EEG where they videotape you having a seizure to figure out, you know, because they can classify what you're dealing with mostly by seeing it. So anyway, and they come on randomly, so it's hard to catch one. So whatever. So it's kind of like that. Anyway, that's long-winded. But Jacob videotaped most of what we were ha- going through, hospital trips, doctor's appointments, interviewing me you know like throughout it all um because we didn't really know what was happening and and I feel fortunate because I don't think I would have remembered anything without it so um I wanted to toe the line between like TMI like saying (laughs) doing showing too much and then being educational so I I worked a lot of that footage into the official music video it's kind of like a mini documentary with the title track behind it and it takes you through my whole like year and a half journey of hospital trips shows in between writing the record 
breakdowns, high moments, you know, getting my puppy, <laughs> lots of little fun life moments, you know, so and 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 tough moments too. So in that regard, you know, that was the first visual I wanted to put out to because nobody saw that. Nobody knew that was going on. Mm. Um, so I think it was important to say, hey, this like polished piece of work came from this really out of control period in my life in a very in not a in do drugs. I wasn't drinking too much, not the regular rock star out of control. It was like my body was literally attacking me. So yeah. <laughs> and this is what I, it gave me too. So in that regard, it was cool. And a lot of literature inspired the album too, mm-hmm. uh, because I had to relearn kind of how to read a little bit. I was having speech problems. So I was reading a lot. And again, I wasn't really able to do much. So I was like, let me pick up some books. So Chrissy, my one of my team members and I decided to roll out the 17 tracks as chapters. So each there's four chapters and each chapter sort of has a title and a, a mood board and a color associated with it. And um, it's not in order, like the chapters on the tracks on the album are not in order in terms of the chapters, but because, you know, there's all these different emotions throughout the album, but mm-hmm. you know, the ones that sort of were written on similar days, I collected into a chapter. So yeah, you know, I shared, you know, week to week, I just, I just dropped chapter four yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it showed the mood board, you know, the the influences and things like that. And just in an effort to get people to listen to the record and maybe have a different perspective of, Oh, I like that author. Like maybe I should give this song a listen or, Oh, cool. I like this mood board. Let me see what this sounds like, you know, rather than just being like, Hey, my record's out. You should really listen. Hey, my record, my record, here are my songs, my songs, me singing. I do that too. But you know, I, I'm not, um, super great or super comfortable with self-promotion. So being able to make an art project out of it was, the best thing that we could have done. So that was kind of a promotional thing too. Yeah, and it becomes about something bigger than just you, doesn't it? And it helps, like you're saying, if somebody already is a fan of an author that you're mentioning as an influence or a seed of inspiration, they're like, oh, okay, well, maybe I would like this song or maybe this chapter of the album is for me, you know? Yeah, and I actually, because I was tagging the artists and the authors and stuff, and some of them actually reached out to me like, it was crazy. Like, I, I was actually able to communicate with people that really inspired me. And they were like, hey, this is awesome. I was like, oh, my God, I can't even handle this. Like, that in and of itself was worth it, you yeah. know, just to, to actually be able to tell Leslie Gray Streeter, who who wrote Black Widow, who her story inspired a lot of I Woke Up Alive, too, that I think she's awesome. And she's like, you're awesome. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? So cool. And then the Gorilla Girls, you know who the Gorilla Girls yeah. are? yeah. I tagged them in chapter two because the whole thing's about being a contrarian and kind of being counterculture. And they liked my post. I was like, oh my God, the gorilla girls just liked my Instagram post. I'm like, I'm like sweating thinking about it. I've like wanted to be a gorilla girl forever. <laughs> so whatever. But yeah, silly things like that just really made me feel like, okay, mm-hmm. cool. Like I'm, I think I'm in the right, I'm in the right place. Like, and then I'm going to do that moving forward in terms of promotion because it's it's getting harder and harder to like, you know, promote in a way that's comfortable for me because it's all about the self right now um and I think personally in my life I'm different than I am as an artist and so it's it's hard to merge the two although people want that authenticity but you know there's some things I just wish you know to keep private or you know sacred you know so yeah so it's kind of like building out the the story building out the world in, in lots of multi-dimensional ways that's beyond listen to my record 
but more or, like this yeah. this is what the record's about or this is what has inspired the record or yeah. you know yeah just yeah. giving visual elements and like very visually yeah just trying to trying to be creative about how people get inspired to listen because it's so oversaturated right now mm-hmm. yeah you know, with people you know so it's just trying to get creative in that way yeah Cool. Okay. Well, just while we sort of have our final few minutes of this chat, and thank you so much, April, for sharing everything that you've gone through. It's so incredibly inspiring. And I know there'll be people listening here um, to this episode thinking, wow, like the things that you've had to deal with and that you've still managed to make this record and that you've released it. And it's it's wonderful as well. So I really recommend people go and listen to it. But what's your advice? Um, there will be people listening who have gone through some similar health challenges and who maybe are in a similar position to what you've described of like, they don't know how, what their energy is going to be like every day. They don't know what the future holds. What's your advice to another musician who's maybe really, really wanting to record their music, but they they are not in and in a kind of peak health as the music industry just presumes every musician is right right yeah um and everybody has their challenges you know yeah um so this could i guess could be for anybody but you need to find the balance between knowing yourself and pushing yourself because if you have a goal in mind i know you're looking right at it but it's not going to come to you you need to go to it so you know you you can't burn yourself out but you need to push yourself and if it doesn't work and you don't feel it that day, then don't. You should always try to push yourself just a little bit further than you did the day before. Because, I mean, there's been times in my life where I'm like, there's no way, you know, I'm going to. The other day, I- I've been starting to run again by myself. I've been feeling more safe to, like, travel out by myself now. The other day, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to just go jog and, you know, run a 13-minute mile, whatever. And I was like, you know what? Today, I'm just going to see how fast I can run for how long. And I ran it in nine minutes and I know that's not the fastest, but it's like I was running 13 minutes a mile and now all of a sudden I'm down to nine just because of a a mental switch of like, let's just do it. And if I get tired, I get tired, but you know, and I can jog the rest, but let's see how long I can go, how fast I can go, you know, and I've surprised myself so many times with just pushing myself a little bit further. So again, find the balance. You can't burn yourself out. You can't do things that aren't going to work for you, but yeah, just push yourself. Just like push, get, get out of the comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, because yeah. like you say, it's not about kind of going, like throwing yourself 150% or something and then burning out. Um, It's not all or nothing. It's about just every day, just pushing yourself a little bit further, a little bit harder, but respecting your body and what you're going through and that you need rest. And I know that you've talked about already in this chat about taking a break. And so it's, it's really hard that balance, isn't it? But yeah, but I think you're right that it is also about, you know, believing in your ability to be resilient enough to just take a little extra each day, just a little extra each day, not, you know, 150% more. It's hard because yeah. artists artists and creators are, you know, if they're passionate, they can go for hours, days, nights, whatever. I mean, yeah. I used to pull all-nighters all the time. I can't now. Yeah. Sleep is very important for people with any sort of brain issue. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I can't do that anymore. Um, I'm sure there's times you're tempted, but you know that you constantly. have to say no and you have to go to bed because the next yeah. day you'll suffer and the, and probably the next week you'll suffer, you know. It's, yeah. And it's yeah. hard, you know, but it's like you need to make these small commitments to your body because it's, it's, 
how do they say it? You know, it's it's a journey. It's not like you're not going, you're never going to get there, whatever your destination is. Like there's this yeah. idea of destination success in music a lot, but the whole thing's a journey. So you have to take care of yourself on the journey because you're never going to get, you you can't just like starve yourself and, and not drink water thinking at the end, you're going to get all of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You need to like feed yourself and nurture yourself throughout the process. So you grow, you know, yeah. it's like, you can't like water a dead plant and <laughs> like, get it back to life is just not going to work you have to nurture along the way so it's hard it's hard because i am uh, naturally not a very balanced person you know so yeah working so that, hard it's clearly, that worth it yeah that's clearly something you've really worked hard at and kind of had to learn in the last few years yeah 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 by force and i i think you know things are put in our path for a reason and i i genuinely think it improved my life moving mm-hmm. forward so hopefully i can stay healthy and keep moving yeah yeah oh well thank you so much for coming on the podcast april um like i said before your story is really inspiring i know that it will be you know a a real kind of like reminder to people listening that every day we wake up alive and we have a choice about how we use that time um that we can just push ourselves that little bit harder and take on just a little a little bit more and work towards those goals and and make music because it is so healing and and to respect that so thank you for reminding us all of that and congratulations on the album as well thank you so much i'm so happy it's finally in your hands yeah <laughs> yeah thank you so much for having me truly well isn't april just a total inspiration i mean she shared some real gems that i will be taking into 2023 with me every single day that you wake up alive use that incredible gift And if making music is the only thing you can do, do that and allow yourself to just keep moving forward one day at a time. I also loved hearing about how April has carved out a career as an artist and her thoughts on building a team and promoting her work. I definitely urge you to consider how you might promote your music beyond the standard listen to my new song stuff. Can you use colour, literature, art and more to open up new dimensions to your music and who you are as an artist, like April has? To get some inspiration, go and check out April's Instagram page, which I've linked to in the show notes. And you can also listen to I Woke Up Alive right now. It's so worth checking out. Now, in next week's episode, I'll be breaking down my five favourite strategies to record your music like a pro from home. It's common for musicians to worry that home recording music will automatically sound amateur, but that is far, far from true. It does help, though, to have some insider know-how so you can get the very best results from a home studio setup, and that's exactly what I'm sharing in this episode next week. But till then, take care, and I'll catch you here soon. Girls Twiddling Knobs is hosted and produced by me, Isabel Anderson, with production support from Jade Bailey. The show notes are compiled by Francesca O'Connor, and this is a female DIY musician production. So, how do you like that episode, dear listener? If you loved it, And you know someone else who would love it too. Be a good friend and share it with them. Go on, spread the girls' twiddling knobs love.